Welcome to the Waste Not What Not podcast. I'm Philippa Ross, human ecologist, enthusiologist, author and energy healer, bringing you inspirational interviews, news and tips to rebuild the relationship between people and the planet the way nature intended by revitalizing our natural resources, minimizing waste and maximizing human potential. I trust you discover seeds of hope for a vibrant future so you can cultivate and transform them to suit your own lifestyle in order for us to collectively create a world where reverence for the diversity of all life is honoured. You'll find all the show notes in the description and lots more about me and my work at philipparos.com. And don't forget, if you like what you hear, be sure to share far and wide. Hello Wastebusters, welcome to episode 36. Today being Friday the 19th of August is both World Humanitarian and World Orangutan Day, each one focusing on the welfare and support required to meet the needs of a species. Did you know that orangutan is a Malay word that means person of the forest and that they're one of our closest relatives? Like them, we need our forests because they help keep our climate stable, absorbing carbon dioxide and releasing oxygen, as well as regulating and improving the quality of our water supply. They provide a home to more than half of the species found on land, a rich variety of life that keeps so many natural systems running. Over 1 billion people live in and around forests, depending on them for fuel, food, medicine and building materials. We've already lost around 40% of the world's forests and with the global demand for timber expected to triple in the next three decades, we really need to turn the tap off, as a previous guest of mine, Trish Allen, said in episode 32. Days like this focus on something specific, bringing people together to grow a global appreciation of the bigger picture and the power of the collective. Just like last week's episode on World Krill Day that opened our eyes to the impact human demand on krill has on the entire ecosystem. Though we may hear nothing but doom and gloom on mainstream media, I'm filled with hope as more and more people are now taking a big picture view of the impact their inventions and ventures have on the environment just like my guest today, Will Stevens. Will has integrated his practical skills and a desire to reduce waste into creating a business that meets the demand of the marketplace, but makes less of a demand on the environment. His modus operandi providing a much needed solution focused approach to creating the kind of world we want. A world of opportunities like teachers in Christchurch are giving students by providing them a climate hope, not despair way of thinking supporting them to learn about issues and the importance of understanding different needs and perspectives, then coming together as a class to not only make changes at school, but allowing them to see how they can influence their community by preparing and presenting projects to express their feelings using art and music for councils and families. I have no doubt the late Sir Ken Robinson, who was a great advocate for creativity in schools, would be thrilled with this. His 2006 TED Talk, Do Schools Kill Creativity, is one of the most viewed talks of all time, having now reached 21.5 million views. There's a link in the show notes for you to check it out for yourself. One such innovative approach to revitalise the ecosystem is underway in Indonesia, where conservationists are rehabilitating coral reefs affected by warming oceans, blast fishing, plastic pollution and severe storms. They're using what's known as the coral spider technique. In essence, the restoration project involves the installation of small lightweight rods made from cast iron that's welded into a hexagonal shape. 
like a spider's web, onto which new corals are grafted. The tide is definitely turning in Japan, where demand for whale meat has drastically changed. Once considered a traditional food, there's a whole new generation who've never eaten it and are not interested in trying it. This shift in demand will hopefully impact the whaling industry because it'll no longer be commercially viable, especially since government subsidies have been drastically reduced. People are waking up to the fact that every living organism plays a vital role in sustaining the health of the entire ecosystem. Like krill, who we heard about last week, are at the bottom of the food chain, whales are at the top and each have a significant role in the marine environment. In fact, 95% of the habitants on planet Earth live in the ocean, generating over half the oxygen we breathe. Whales use what's known as the high seas as a superhighway in their migratory path. It's an area that covers 60% of the ocean and lies outside any country's jurisdiction. Hopefully by the end of next week, the UN will, after 20 years of talking, do something constructive and enforce some practical solutions to protect marine life in the area. Reducing shipping traffic and fishing operations would be a great start. You can add your voice to the petition. The link is in the show notes. Encountering ships and fishing boats would both be totally alien to the whale called Tokita, affectionately known as Lolita, who has lived in captivity for the past 50 years. Activists in Washington are ever hopeful their campaign to release her to the Salish Sea in the Pacific Ocean to live out the last of her days will eventualise from the operational plan currently being considered. I've put a link in the show notes for the website so you can follow the process. While I'm talking about rescuing marine mammals, Project Jonah here in New Zealand have just released a number of marine medic courses around the country so you can learn the life-saving skills needed to help out in the event of a stranding. I did this myself 13 years ago and would highly recommend it. Our changing climate has meant many species have had to adapt their behaviour to find food, which is one reason there's been an increase in strandings. Penguins are also finding it hard. In fact, a recent study identified them as having one of the lowest evolutionary rates observed among birds to date, rates that are negatively correlated with environmental temperature, which ties in with what Dr. Rodolfo Verno was saying last week about his concern for young chicks whose feathers are not mature enough to dispel increasing levels of water, resulting in them freezing to death. On a more cheerful note, Canada has implemented some great changes banning the manufacturing and importation of single-use plastic by December this year. The end of sales of single-use plastic products by 2023 and the prohibited export of single-use plastics by 2025. All of this creates inroads for more innovative products to flourish. One such invention in Germany is the use of recycled ferrite particles that have magnetic properties being embedded into concrete for roads so electric vehicles can charge as they're travelling. It can be manufactured locally, reducing costs and can achieve transmission efficiency of up to 95%. Concrete appears to have a great adaptive qualities and magic happens when you discover a formula that serves your purpose. Something my guest Will Stevens did when he experimented with ways to create concrete planters mixed with plastic waste. His idea fulfilled many criteria he wanted to include in his business, not least of which was about preserving the environment so his young son could enjoy the same benefits as he had growing up. Welcome to the show, Will. It's lovely to have you with me. 
Thank you. It's great to be here. Now, I reached out to you because I saw a post on the Mungify community page and I thought how ingenious it was that a single person, as it appeared, was picking up plastic on the beach and making something creative out of it. And you're making planters out of concrete, aren't you? I am indeed. Yep. Planters, pots. We're going to try to get into furniture, all types of things that we can make out of concrete. Fantastic. So your business is called 261, which is... I know the answer to this one, but could you advise the <laughs> listeners? It's a very male logic thing. Why did you call it 261? Uh, we pondered on a name for a while and we ended up coming up with 261. It was the ratio we were using for the cement, sand and water ratio of our concrete when we first started off. Brilliant. You say we, so who else is involved? Uh, my fiance. We both sort of came up with the idea and we've both been working away on it. So what's your fiancé's name? Jordan. Jordan. Cool. So what was the impetus behind doing it then? We moved up to Mungify in December last year and we've actually just had our first baby. And we wanted to, thank you, we wanted to create a business that we could do something from our house. We wanted it to be sustainable. We wanted to make a difference. And we also wanted to get involved in the community around here. And we didn't know what to start. And I think we just came across concrete planters and pots. I think when we bought our new house, we sort of looked for large concrete planters and pots and found them hard to find. I think that's where the idea sort of stemmed from. And realizing that a lot of that sort of products, they get imported from overseas, we thought, well, why not make them here? And then Obviously, we wanted to do something sustainable and something different. So we thought, well, if we're using concrete, surely we can find a way to incorporate some waste into the product. And that's when we came across plastic. And I just did a lot of research online and realized that for making something like a pot or a planter, it doesn't need to be as structural as, say, a floor or a wall or something like that. We were able to keep the strength up and not really hinder the ability or the performance of the pot, I suppose, with adding plastic to it. So that's where it all came from. Ingenious. And it's always fascinating how we end up doing something and filling in a gap in the market that you think, oh, I wish somebody did that. And then you look at yourself and think, well, why don't I kind of thing, which is exactly what you've <laughs> actually gone and done. Yeah. And so and then yeah. also I find with my guests as well, with their stories, a lot of it links back to their experiences and things through life. So there's nothing like um, a newborn to give you a perspective on what you're leaving behind, the le- kind of legacy and the role models that you are as well. So I guess that was a part of it. Yeah, that was definitely a large part of it. We definitely wanted to do something that we were proud of. And obviously, we're going to bring him up the way we view the world and how we would like it to be. And yeah, starting this business and using these plastics in the concrete was just one way that we can sort of demonstrate to him that, you know, we are doing something. And no matter how big or small, it does make a difference. And that's the purpose of the podcast. And part of the reason I reached out to you is because I think it's important that people get the idea that we can do things ourselves and reaching out to the community. And as you say, I mean, I find even myself, I've been on this journey for nearly 20 years now. And you have to stop because we're on autopilot, reaching out and getting stuff that's coming in from overseas. For me, it's having that value of supporting your local community if you can, if not nationally, because we can do so much and we just need to make more of the skills that we have and the people around us. 
So what's your background and why concrete? I mean, obviously you said with a new house and things. So do you have any substantive qualifications to do this or are you just making it up as you go along? <laughs> I got a commerce degree in management from Victoria University back oh, 10 years ago now. And then went over to Australia and I worked in construction and yeah, all sort of civil works over there. And then moved back to New Zealand oh, maybe seven years ago now. And I actually... A drain laying apprenticeship. So my background is in drain laying. Oh. And that obviously used a lot of concrete, but nothing as crafty or nothing needed to be as neat and tidy as what I'm doing now. So it is a learning process, but um yeah, every day gets better and better. So it's not a shit and bust kind of thing. You can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah. Usually with drain laying everything gets buried. So it's, it's not too important. Well, it just goes to reiterate what I said earlier about, you know, we integrate the skills we've learned along the way. We don't necessarily know why we're doing it, but it's all part of the process. Exactly. I think my whole life's been like that. As soon as an opportunity comes along, I've taken it. I wouldn't change what I've done in the past. And I think that's just the next step and the next evolution of what we're doing anyway. Awesome. What's Jordan's background? Uh, Jordan's early childhood teaching so again you know nothing to do with concrete but um, (laughs) obviously now she's on maternity leave she's really good on the computer and really good communicating with people and things like that and she's sort of been the driving force behind this you know we weren't sure if we wanted to do it or not do it and then luckily enough we sort of both agreed we'll do it and we just sort of pushed ourselves to actually do it and now we're up and running so fantastic so how long have you been running we've been up and running only oh I think Three weeks now. <laughs> We've literally awesome. just come on. I've just finished the website, just put our first line of sort of marketing out there, reached out to the community. And yeah, we've been doing it for probably four months and just trying to refine getting the plastics into the concrete, but also our technique on the concrete, how we can do it affordable, but also, you know, just trying to find the easiest process to do it all. So are you operating from home? Yeah, so we're just operating from home at the moment. I think it's getting more and more the the house and all the surrounding areas are getting filled with concrete pots. So I think uh, the sooner we get a big shed, the better. <laughs> Excellent. So I also noticed that on the comment was that you were going for walks with your fiance and picking up the plastic. And that one of the things that struck me was like, holy shit, there must be a lot of plastic around for you to be able to do that. Is there that much out there that you collected on walks? There's a lot of plastic out there. It's amazing when you look how much you actually see. We just went for a drive down to Auckland last week and even the highway on the way down there. Now that we're looking out for it, it's one of those things that I think everyone just turns a blind eye to. Yeah. And when you're not looking, you don't see it. But mm. as soon as you start looking out and you start noticing it, and now it's quite strange for us because we're noticing and we're looking for it to pick it up and <laughs> take it home to use it. So <laughs> it's a bit different. It is amazing how much you see. And it's a real shame. You see it down at the estuary. You see it down at the beach. Mm. Everywhere we go. And we'll do the same walk two days and we'll see new rubbish each day. So, wow. yeah, it's a real shame. It's amazing how it actually gets there. As you say, you can't put your blinkers on once your eyes are open to it. And it's a bit like stuff that you hear. You can't undo what you know now kind of thing so you've got to make a a difference so that's fantastic and I also believe you reached out to the local builders Mungafai ITM isn't it? Mungafai ITM yes 
Well, they actually contacted me through my post off Facebook, along with a couple of other companies as well. And it's actually really good to see some local business make that effort to contact us. They obviously really want to make a change. I went down and visited Paul at Mungify ITM, and he was really good. And we've actually come up with an agreement now to collect just once a week all their plastic strapping that they get all their timber and pallets and everything because everything that gets brought in there is strapped up and they can't do anything with it. They can't recycle that, so it just goes straight back in the bin, straight to the landfill. It's a really wasted product, I suppose, and it's, yeah. it, it works perfectly for what we're doing. So, A few episodes ago, I was talking to Nigel Benton, who did a 90% waste-free build, which was phenomenal, and he was saying how much plastic there was wrapped around goods and things. And another one that would be good for you to contact would be Junk Run, David Knight, because he yes. was in the construction industry in Oz as well. And that's his forte. And I think between Nigel was also involved with the master builders and he wants to create a huge nationwide network because it's all very well in the cities. But as you know, being in Mungify, you're miles from anywhere, basically. I mean, you've got Bungaree and Auckland and there's a lot of shit in between. So what do we do with it? Where does it go to? Who's responsible for it? It's huge. Exactly. I completely agree. I listened to uh, Nigel's, yeah, the podcast you did with him. It's absolutely incredible what they they managed to do. I've spent the last, you know, six, seven years on construction sites in New Zealand. And it is, it's just amazing how much goes into the skip, how much we throw out. So many things come to site, wrapped in plaster, wrapped in strapping, all these different things. And really, these aren't goods that even would get damaged or need to be protected. It's almost like they do it for no reason. I think we definitely need to change the way that construction's done in New Zealand. The waste is absolutely absurd. So planters and I love the idea of furniture as well. At the moment, we've just sort of got the planters in the pots. We're going to start doing side tables for a start and then... All sorts of different things. We'd love to get into dining tables. We'd love to get into, you know, coffee tables, that sort of thing. Anything with concrete. We're making coasters. We're making plates, bowls, all sorts. Yeah. Oh, great stuff. Great outdoors kind of thing as well. Hey. Yeah, it is. Like all our products are weatherproof and they can be used indoor or outdoor. They can be sealed, unsealed. Yeah, it's a really natural product that looks great and is obviously durable. Have you come across SaveBoard? Because they're using Tetra Packs to make boards like plasterboards, which is being really successful. I haven't come across them, but I have heard of them. And yeah, what they're doing is incredible as well. I think any business out there trying to reuse, especially particle board and things like that, another thing that just huge quantities go to landfill. Yeah, it's really great to see. And sharing knowledge as well, because I mean, again, for Paul, it was um, the logistics of getting it and involving cafes and things like that. So just as your community is coming forward to you, people are reaching out with him. And so I think this collective theme is just phenomenal, the way it's gathering momentum and everybody helping one another rather than competing against one another. Yeah, exactly. I I think that's what we need. We're at a stage now where there's enough people that want to make a difference. It's just the communication between all those people and actually finding suitable processes to process the waste. I think what Nigel was saying about not the outlets at the moment, you know, there's so many people that want to do something, but there's just, I don't know, maybe not the innovation or not enough companies out there that are willing to use the products 
there might be enough people that want to create a company to do it. So I think if you start with the communication, start with the community getting together and discussing these matters, and I think there'll be some real change. And it's shifting a mindset, but it's a money thing, isn't it? It is a money thing. I don't think it necessarily has to be expensive to, you know, reduce waste or recycle. I think there's enough things out there now to limit that cost of getting rid of waste responsibly. I think what we need to do is encourage companies that want to use this waste. And if they can make their profit off it, that's a driver to create more of these companies. I think the number one focus should be managing our waste better. Absolutely. My guest, Trish Allen, and her big saying is just turn off the tap. And it's great that people like yourself are repurposing and pull uh, from safe or repurposing materials and recreating stuff out of it. But ultimately, it's about stopping making all this excess waste that is no use to anybody. We can't keep clearing it all up. No, I completely agree. One of the things we focused on was trying to get these plastics to a small enough state that even once our planters in the long run break or if they ever do eventually break down, the plastics are small enough we could crush these products up and reuse them again. We didn't want to put a product out there that wasn't going to be recyclable in the long run because the reality is these plastics aren't going anywhere. And I think the real way to deal with it is to stop it at the source. And we don't need the plastics we use. That's awesome that you've integrated that aspect of it. And I think it's very refreshing to hear a long-term vision rather than just making something for the sake of it without thinking about the end of the line. It's all to do with the circular economy, isn't it? It is indeed. Jordan and I started talking about it when we came up with the idea. Essentially, we're creating a time capsule to hold the plastic until we could process it later down the track. So but we wanted to make sure that if, if and however long that that breaks down and we can reuse it, not have to separate it from the concrete, we can just crush it up and then it can be used for all sorts of aggregates and things. I know in Australia now they're putting plastics and glass into their footpaths, things like that. So it's, it's starting, but we're not quite there yet. Yeah, and I think um, Nigel was talking about using it in the aggregate for the foundations and things like that. And you were talking about the research that you did into the formula as to what you could create without actually compromising the structure of it and its purpose. Exactly. Like that's one of the things we needed to do. And I think when you come to construction, obviously the engineering side of things can be a lot more technical and things need to be a lot stronger. But there's companies out there, eMesh in Australia now, that recycling plastics into an actual aggregate shape. So it has the same binding conditions as your standard gravel. And therefore, it's a simple process, but they're getting the same strength concrete as they would traditionally. So companies like that are changing how we use it. We could use a lot of it to fill our potholes, particularly up north here. <laughs> there's a whole page on Northland potholes. <laughs> We could fill the whole road going through Mungify at the moment, really. <laughs> this rain hasn't helped, but they're abominable, full stop, eh? Oh, it's absolutely crazy. The amount of roadworks going on around the country at the moment. Get some plastic, get some concrete, fill them in. <laughs> now, did you have any aspirations as a young man as to what you wanted to do, or was it just exploring the world and see what transpired? I think as I grew up, My priorities, my interests changed. I've always taken an opportunity as it comes. I'd like to say I've always been creative. I've always liked using my hands. My father was the same. And I think I just grew up that way. 
I grew up in Queenstown in the mountains and I was always out in the environment. I always wanted to do something that would make a difference. I always wanted to look after the environment and protect our country. And I think all these things have sort of just come together. Even in the drain laying aspect, that's an industry that is just completely backwards when you come to dealing with sewage. It just goes out to septic tanks, it goes out to our mains and it ends up in our rivers and our streams, our lakes, our oceans. I was always looking for an environmental approach on that work. It's an incredible industry when you think of what you could actually do with human waste as well as plastic waste and all sorts. In what way? Well, overseas now, you've got two different water lines. You've got grey water lines, recycling water lines, and fresh water, your drinking water lines. So there's no reason we can't be treating this very easy to, to treat. We could treat our sewage and turn it back into grey water, which we can then use for bathing, showering, washing dishes, you know, flushing the toilet, all these things that actually use the largest quantities of water in your household. Cool. Well, then therein lies another project for you at a later stage. You just never know. <laughs> I'm on to the next now, the plastic issues. Yeah. Was it the fact that you were in the mountains that inspired you to want to protect the environment or did you have some other influence? I think it was. I was brought up to always respect nature and always keep it clean and tidy. We grew up and keep New Zealand green. It's a beautiful country. It's absolutely phenomenal down there. And I had so many hobbies growing up that involved the lake, the mountains, all sorts. So, yeah, I think it was really just where I grew up, who I grew up with. And you take a look at that sort of landscape and you just don't want it to change. Absolutely. So has there been a book or a person that has influenced you in your life? I'm not sure there's a particular book or person. I think my main inspiration has come from my environment, where I grew up. Being in the outdoors, I grew up mountain biking, skiing, sailing, one of the luckiest childhoods ever. And I think my real inspiration has just come from my surroundings, being in New Zealand and being able to see this country for all its greatness. Fantastic. Do you have a quote that you find inspiring? Yeah, I've got a quote. Never let the fear of striking out stop you from playing the game. I've always been drawn to that quote. It applies to so many aspects of life. And I think With this project, it's another one. It's one of those things people aren't really willing to take that first step. There's too many what-ifs and, I suppose, road barriers to, you know, to get past and sort of evolve their ideas. So many people have great ideas, but to actually do something about it, I think that's where it stops. And, yeah, I think if more people sort of just got up the courage and went after their ideas, the world would be a much better place. Very inspiring. Do you know who that saying comes from? That was Babe Ruth, American baseball player from a long time ago. It's very much like that tall poppy syndrome, isn't it? And the what ifs, how we've been conditioned for worst case scenario. And I really think at this time, I'm finding it really quite inspiring and I'm really hopeful. It's an opportunity to think differently and think of, well, what if it went really well and it created momentum in a completely different direction and it was good, you know, rather than it could go tits up basically, yeah. I completely agree. It's amazing how just a mindset can change, well, first of all, cause action. But then as soon as you've started that ball rolling, it's amazing what opens up, what's around the next corner. And I think it's just a flow on effect. You've got to take that first leap. You've got to take that first step and do whatever you've been thinking about and just see where it takes you. And it's amazing how many times it does actually turn out to be your path and take you somewhere that you wanted to go. 
Um, I've successfully managed to fail a lot of exams in the past. I was not an academic, even though I was sent to a private school. <laughs> what a waste of money. Failure and being British and all that class system and things, it really can restrain you. Again, it's that mind shift is looking at what didn't succeed or turn out the way that you expected. It's taking the lessons from that because we can transform them, repurpose them into something else, really, can't we? I think they need to be seen as problems that have solutions. And I think nothing ever fails or shouldn't fail and you learn nothing from it. There's always a reason to it. And therefore, there should always be a solution to fix it or change it. So I think we need to look at them as obstacles or problems. And with obstacles and problems, we can create solutions to get past them. You sound like a really upbeat person. What do you do if you get into a funk? I think, again, it comes back to my childhood. I had so many amazing hobbies. I spent so much time outdoors. I think getting out into nature, going for a walk, having some time either, you know, with your family or alone, whatever you need, and just get out and appreciate something bigger, something greater. I just started surfing when I moved here in December last year. And to get out there and get in the ocean and sit out there, whether I catch a wave or not, it really changes your mindset. Everything else sort of washes away and you can really just enjoy the moment, enjoy where you're at. Yeah, I think the environment and The world has an amazing way of making our problems seem a lot smaller. And the power of the ocean, it's that relationship with it, isn't it? I know some people who are really adept at surfing. And when you catch that wave, you're transported to another world and you're just in that moment. I've done it once and it's amazing. (laughs) Such a buzz. Yeah, absolutely incredible. I sort of follow sports that use the environment, you know, mountain biking, we have gravity, it has that same sort of thing. The ocean's so powerful. It's amazing for surfing, the wind, going sailing, skiing, using the snow, all these sports and hobbies that have natural elements to them. You're at the mercy of the world, really. And I think that's what makes it so exciting and so enjoyable. And also creates that respect for it as well, because the corporations are trying to manipulate it and get one up on it but actually nature will have the last voice and she's doing pretty well at the moment with extra sunshine the other side of the world and extra rain this side of the world and volcanoes and things and we really need to stop messing about with her and build that respect I completely agree yeah You've only got to look at the news to see what's going on around the world. So if I was your fairy godmother and could grant you one wish to change something in the world, what would it be and why? I think it would have to be the mindset people have at the moment, especially in the Western world, that single-use mindset. So to do with waste management, how much we're consuming, what we actually need to consume. I think at the moment, the level of waste is completely unsustainable. The population's only growing and... We really need to look at ourselves and look at what we can do and ask ourselves whether we really need these things and take a step backwards and do your part. Only purchase what you need to purchase. Don't purchase anything you're going to use once. Just small little steps like that, I think, are going to make a big difference in the long run. If everyone gets behind it. Yeah, and again, it's just opening your eyes at one step at a time and knowing that you can make a difference. Well, I'd like to wish you all the best for the future and thank you for having the courage to step up and do something different. Thank you so much. It's been good to talk to you. All the best to you. Take care. Bye. Thank you very much. Bye. Isn't it refreshing to hear how adventurous and willing some people are at giving something a go to make a difference? I'll definitely have to invest in one of Will's pots for my own garden.
My guest next week will be Rachel Neal from Compostaway, who will be telling us all about an initiative that actually ensures compostable stuff ends up as compost. Make sure you follow or subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on future episodes. All feedback and reviews are much appreciated and don't forget to get in touch if you have a subject or guest you'd like me to consider. My email is info at philipparos.com. So until next week, dig deep, open your mind to a world of possibilities, live life with a generous heart and take steps to minimise waste and maximise your own potential. Mm-hmm.